Amen. Um, I want to share, just as we begin it, a testimony. Um, I'm going to share it in a, well, you don't know these people, but um, a couple weeks ago, I got, I wasn't here on a Sunday, and uh, I got an email on a Monday, and uh, it was a longer email, and this person was communicating with me how uncomfortable this time is, how uncomfortable the prayer time is. They're like, hey, we were, we were happy to be at Restoration on, uh, on Sunday, and we missed you, and uh, we got to the prayer time, and uh, they said it was so uncomfortable for them. They wanted, went on to say how um, their plan was just to sit and just to pray by themselves. But there were some people in here that turned to them and said, how can I pray for you? This person went on to say in the email that they didn't know what was bubbling up inside. See, there were two of them, a husband and wife, and the husband, who I've known for a number of years, he is pretty quick with his words and and isn't shy about sharing. And he started to share about his father-in-law, who had lung cancer, and was going to go in surgery that week. And as soon as he started to share, the tears came. And then his wife's tears came. And she shared with me in the email that it was so uncomfortable, but she didn't realize how much was deep down inside that just needed to come out. And then as she shared, people here gathered and prayed. And she goes in the email, she says, it was so uncomfortable, but it's in those uncomfortable moments that you grow. And I'm so thankful that we stuck around, that we stayed, and that people prayed. And then she went on to say, it was so good to be cared for in that way. It blew me away. Like, she's like, this is uncomfortable. And yes, it is uncomfortable. If I were to go back many, many years, like, I was always uncomfortable praying out loud. I didn't like speaking in front of people. I didn't like doing a lot of what I'm doing now. And, and I know in, in talking to, to many of you, you're like, I've grown because I've, I've, I've taken a step into the uncomfortable zone, and that is where God has met me and stretched me, and I'm now more comfortable with what I wasn't comfortable way back then. See, I love this because we never know when God is going to move in powerful ways, when he's going to speak like so personally to a person here. And he's going to use you. He's not just going to use me. He's going to use all of us. That's what I love about Barry's testimony. Sitting there at Marlena's for his daily meal, like just hanging out, like I'm going to have breakfast or whatever. And uh, there, this, you know, this woman comes in and Marlena was thinking of something else. And boom, all of a sudden, Barry is being used by God to speak truth into this person's life. And if only all of us were just that uh, willing and ready and available every single day, I just wonder what could happen. There's already so much that is happening, but so much more that I believe God wants to do. I believe that God is always after our hearts and the hearts of people in our community. I mean, that's, that's the desire that he's had from the very beginning of the age. You, know, you go back to the beginning. What is the, the original vision, the original intent that God was going to hang out with, with Adam, with this creation? I love those pictures that we see in Genesis 3. Of, it says that Adam was walking with God. That even God walked with another man named Enoch for, for many years. And then all of a sudden, Enoch was no longer. You see this picture of, of God being relational, that he wants to dwell with his people. That he wants to be their God and he wants to dwell with his people. This is so clear in Jeremiah chapter 31. 
I love this verse. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. This is like God's heart. After those days, after captivity, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see God's heart. He's like, I want to be their God. I want to be with my people. Even if you look forward to the very end when, when Jesus is coming back, when we see uh, heaven in, in Revelation 21, it says that God will dwell with his people and they will be his people. The God who can dwell anywhere, who can be anywhere, wants to dwell with you and me. Does that blow you away? Like, does that blow you away that the God of the universe wants to hang out with you and, and, and so much so that he sent his son Jesus to die for you so that that could happen. There's this constant invitation that we see all throughout Scripture. God saying, I will be your God. I will be your king. I will lead you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will deliver you. I, you just see that he's just so passionate about his people. But over and over again, people reject him. People turn their hearts away from him. One of the saddest pictures that I see in the Old Testament it's in 1 Samuel 8, where Samuel, who was a priest, is close to uh, dying. And the people recognize that and they say, will you give us a king? Give us a king. We want a king. We want to be like every other nation. What they're saying is like, we don't want to be separate. We don't want to be unique. We want to be like everybody else. We want our own king. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 8, 7. It says, The Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. That blows me away because the numerous times that God has come to the rescue of his people in the Old Testament, the numerous times that he has moved miraculously, that he has delivered, that he has provided for them, and they get to this point and they're like, we want our own king. We don't want you, God, to be king. And God's saying, they have rejected me from being king over them. I mean, we all have in moments in our life when we've felt rejection, when people have said no to us, when they've walked away, when we haven't been included in something. And you think about that. You think about the feelings that you have. And now, just imagine God's heart, his grief, his sorrow over the fact that his people, the people that he made, rejected him, rejected this great invitation to daily walk with them. And as a result, what God promised, he said, if that's what you want to have happen, I'll give you a king, but this is what's going to happen. They're going to take your money. They're going to take your fields. They're going to take your sons and daughters it's not going to go well with you, and you're going to have kings that turn their back on me, and, and eventually if they do that, and when they do that, I will give you into captivity. I will give you over to your enemies. And we see in the Old Testament in 2 Kings 25, this is what happened towards the end of the Old Testament. God raises up Babylon and destroys Jerusalem. It says this, in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, that dude, whatever, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. This happened 
in 586 BC, 500 years, over 500 years before Jesus was born. Babylon came in and crushed, absolutely crushed Jerusalem, took the young men back to, their, back to Babylon to, to be involved in their army, to be involved in their culture. And Jerusalem, this, this one-time shining city, was destroyed, absolutely destroyed, broken down, nothing left. 50, days, 50 years later, the Persians overtook the Babylonians. And as that happened, 50 years later, they started to allow some of the people to go back to Jerusalem, some of the Jewish people. And around 450 BC, all of a sudden we see Nehemiah come on the scene. Nehemiah, who is working and living in Persia, in the capital city of Susa, he's working for the king. He's a cupbearer for the king. We'll get more into that next week. But he was working in pretty much the lap of luxury. Everything was at his um, uh, it was available to him. And here was a man whose heart was moved over the condition of the city. Look at what it says in Nehemiah 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province, province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I mean, Nehemiah is working for the king. Actually, what his job is that uh, there are many people that would want to take out the king in, in Persia, and there were many coup attempts to take out uh, the king. And so uh, anytime the king would be offered some sort of drink, the cupbearer would drink it so that if uh, there was poison in the drink, it would poison and kill the cupbearer instead of the king. And so here was Nehemiah who was working for the king, working for a, a wicked government. Um, he was a trusted person. He hears about Jerusalem. He hears that people have gone to Jerusalem, and he's saying, is asking the question, what is the condition of the city of Jerusalem? What is the condition of uh, my people, the people that I am a part of? What is their situation like? He has concern, even though he has everything uh, available to him, he's concerned about a city, about a place 800 miles away. And he hears this report, it says that the city is in ruins, that there's great trouble that the city doesn't have the walls around it, that it's open to attack, but it's more than just physical uh, ruin, physical trouble. It's more than that. There's evil, there's wickedness, there's depravity, there's danger. People aren't loving God, they're not serving God, they're not worshiping God. People have turned their backs on God. And it's not just a little danger. It's everywhere. The city is unlivable, it's miserable. And this beautiful city that existed one time is gone. And there's so much shame. There's disgrace. The city that used to display the glory of God that people were in awe of is now just a shell of itself. The walls are broken down. It's open to attacks from, uh, from their enemies. Everything is ruined. We don't have much concept of that in our day. I was trying to like get a picture of like what would that look like? What, what does it look like to, uh, to have a city in ruins? 
I mean, all around the world, people experience this, but I was just uh, reminded of the numerous Olympic venues that existed at one time. I don't know if you've ever Googled that or ever searched that. Olympic venues where these amazing Olympic events take place, like you look at what happens a couple years after the Olympic events, they're in ruins. Here was Rio de Janeiro, a pool where Michael Phelps won uh, five gold medals and won silver. Go back to the previous one. The pool that, that he swam in is just empty and just falling apart. There's not even you know, much water in that. Outside of that pool, this is what the building looks like. The one time like it was a shining building uh, for the Olympics, it is now just a shell of itself with brown water. No one would want to swim in that pool. That doesn't look enticing or inviting. Or even the Winter Olympics. Here's a, a bobsled run or a luge run that is now just uh, in ruins. I mean, this was the condition, not that, but like this is the picture of what it was like in Jerusalem. The city was in ruins. And Nehemiah, the reaction that he had was that he wept and he mourned for days. Some say that he prayed and fasted for three to four months. He's so broken over the brokenness of his people. He's so concerned about others that he forgets about himself. He forgets about his own life, which is mind-blowing because so often it's the other way around. We get concerned about ourselves so much so that we forget about others. Nehemiah is broken, deeply troubled, troubled, but it didn't leave him in despair like without hope. No, it led him to desperation, to action. And so he prayed, and this is how he prayed. The first thing that he did when he saw the condition, when he heard about the condition of the city, it says he prayed, and this is how he prayed. I'm going to read just the rest of the chapter. It says this, and I said, this is Nehemiah's journal. This is, this is his heart. He goes, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. He goes, Lord, you are great. You are awesome. You keep your covenant. You are steadfast. And then he calls on the character of God. You hear, you see. I am asking that you would hear and that you would see me. He starts with praise. He starts with giving God the, the, the worship that he alone deserves, calling on his character, saying, this is who you are. You are steadfast in your love. You are an awesome God. But then he goes and he, he begins confessing his sins. He says, confessing the sins of the people the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And he lumps himself in that. He he says he's not any different. He says, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the the statutes and the rules that that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was a cupbearer to the king. 
We don't have time to get into all of the details of that prayer. But this is his prayer. He calls out the, the character of God. He praises God for who he is. And then he repents. He goes, God, we, we repent. We've confessed. Like, I confess like we have turned our backs on you. We haven't done what you've asked us to do. But then he calls on the promises of God. And I love this. He says, God, if you, you said that if we would turn back to you, that you would gather us back, that you would bring us back, if we return, you will dwell with your people again. And then within him, there's a stirring to go to his boss, and we'll look at that next week, and to ask to go back to Jerusalem. And so he says, give me favor when I talk to the king. I love this. Nehemiah prayed. He asked God specific things. He believed that God had the power to do it. But here was a man who had deep concern over his people, over the people of God, and deep concern over God's glory being seen on the earth. I look at this, and I look at our world and the condition of our world. And I was gripped with this question this week, and I'll ask you this question. When was the last time you wept over the condition of our world? Not just complained about it, but when was the last time you wept, you were broken over the condition of our world? I mean, we all could have, we could have a conversation right now over the condition of our world. You and I interact with people, people that are broken, people that are lonely, people that are hopeless, people that are looking for love in all the wrong places, to quote that famous song. People who are searching for identity, searching for meaning, and they come to the end of themselves, and there's just so much brokenness in our world. When was the last time you wept bitterly over the situation in our world? Or have we become numb to what we see out there? When was the last time you mourned and wept over somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, who is going to spend eternity in hell separated from a God who loves them because they have not heard the gospel and they have not had an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus? that God is sending you to them? When was the last time that we were so broken over the spiritual condition of people? I look at this story of Nehemiah, and what I always found interesting is the people of Israel were taken into captivity around 586 B.C. About 550 B.C. or so, in there, they were allowed to go back. Some were allowed to go back, and they started to rebuild the temple. It was 100 years between then and between when Nehemiah stood up and said, something has to change. Something has to be done. A hundred years, people looked at the city of Jerusalem and nothing stirred in them. They didn't see the way that Nehemiah saw. And this week I was wrestling with like, what made Nehemiah different? Nehemiah was moved by God. It was God moving in his life, but he saw the way that God saw. He had vision for the city and he could see what could be in the city again. But more importantly, what should be. That people would worship God, that they would return to God. And so he wept. He wept. He was broken. And I believe we as a people, as we look at the city, we just can't have our heads down. We can't just go about our days minding our own business. But we have to have our heart break for the things that break the heart of God. 
And so I'm asking that as we go through the book of Nehemiah, that as we go through our days this week, I'm asking that we would pray specifically, God, give us your vision. Give us a heart for the city. Give us a heart for people. Give us a passion to proclaim the gospel. Don't allow us just to meander in our life. Give us purpose and passion again for the glory of your name, to see a great return. Because the people eventually return to Jerusalem. And my heart and my prayer is that in this nation, in West Michigan, we would see a massive returning back to the Lord. Because people are filled with brokenness. And the only thing that can fill the deep hole in their heart is Jesus. And he has equipped us, he has sent us to proclaim the hope that we ourselves have found. And so this week, I'm asking all of us to pray specific prayers, to have our eyes changed, to have the vision, the Lord's vision for his people in this community. And so let's pray together. God, I thank you. I thank you for your heart. I thank you that you love to restore things that are broken. I thank you, God, that you don't give up on people. I thank you that you don't give up on us, that you sent people to us to proclaim the gospel to us. I thank you that you see us and that you know us. And, and even as I, I talk about that, God, there are so many people in this community, in our world, that need to know how much you love them. So many that are hurting, so many that are in, in brokenness, so many that are hopeless, so many that are turned their backs on you. Lord, I ask that there would be a great return. God, I ask that you would break our hearts today and this week. Break our hearts. Help us to see as you see. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are not done. I thank you that you are moving. But Lord, I pray that we would be like Nehemiah, that we would have a deep concern for people but most of all, a deep concern for your glory to be seen all over the world and in West Michigan. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this song as we wrap up this morning. The battle belongs to the Lord.